Hi guys, welcome again to another episode of The Renaissance Men. This is actually the first episode. Hi, I'm Zane. I am the second Renaissance Man. I'm Tom, so I guess that makes me the third Renaissance Man. <laughs> so today we're going to be discussing our reaction from a piece that we're going to be reading real quick. Um, it's titled, Honor, Dignity, and Face, Culture as Personality Writ Large. Uh, this is written by Stefan's personality blog, and this is something... This is a piece that I go back to time and time again um, to try to compare the mindset of people from different parts of the world, right? So without further ado, I'm just going to get straight into it. I recently read an interesting yet largely ignored study from 2011 by psychologists Angel Angela Leong and Dolph Cohen. It's about honor culture, dignity culture, and face culture. These cultures all deal with the concept of self-worth and how to preserve it when interacting with other people. It seems most countries or regions, possibly all, have one of these cultures, or sometimes a mix of them. In a broad categorization, we find honor culture in most parts of the world, while dignity culture, often called guilt culture, is confined to Northwest Europe and the Anglosphere, and face culture to East Asia. Let's kick things off with a brief introduction of the cultures in question, honor culture. This culture is based on the idea that a person's worth is based on his reputation. Reputation, in turn, is based on positive and negative reciprocity. This means that in order to be considered honorable, you, have, you need to repay favors, but also revenge insults, even very small ones. If you fail in these obligations, especially revenging insults, other people will shame you by laughing or expressing disgust, and your reputation slash honor will be ruined. The motivating emotion that makes people do what they are supposed to do is shame. For that reason, it's sometimes called shame culture. People from honor cultures come off as friendly and generous, but with a dark side. They can quickly turn angry and violent if they feel slighted. This culture is masculine and can be found in male subcultures such as in the military, student fraternities, in prisons, and among schoolboys. Honor culture is the norm in societies where the state is weak and can't enforce the rule of law properly. You can't call the police, so instead you deter bad people from attacking you by showing that the slightest disrespect will come at a cost. If you combine this with always repaying a favor, people know that you are open for cooperation but won't be taken advantage of. In short, that you are a person of honor. This culture is closely linked to power and influence. The higher up in the hierarchy, the more honor. Dignity culture, aka guilt culture. The dignity culture is characterized by the conviction that all individuals have an inner, inalienable self-worth. This, the ideal person of dignity, is one who stands by his principles and doesn't listen to gossip. This attitude will not. Oh, this attitude will, of course, not protect your life or property. So it requires a state that enforces the rule of law. The person of dignity is less prone to corruption since he follows his internal standards and is less swayed by what other people say. And unless he is at odds with society, he will abide the law, even when he knows he could get away with breaking it. Because knowing he did something bad will trouble him even though will trouble him even if no one else knows about it. The motivation the motivating emotion in dignity culture is that of a guilty conscience. This is why it's also known as guilt culture. Dignity culture has some obvious advantages. It allows people to be more free and individualistic and prevents corruption. But it also has weaknesses. It has a weakness 
in that a person prone to guilt can easily be exploited by someone who isn't. Like honor culture, dignity culture features positive reciprocity since most people feel that returning a favor is, a good, is the good thing to do, but not necessarily an absolute must. It's often done more like an understanding between two individuals, but there is definitely ne less negative reciprocity since this culture relies on the rule of law and if you agreed that you'd be breaking your own code if you took the law in your own hands. However, if your principles are in conflict with the law, you can break it and maintain a sense of self-worth. In this case, you become a prisoner of conscience. This fact also illustrates that dignity is unrelated to power. You can be in prison and have dignity, and you can be the president and lack dignity if your principles have been compromised. While honor culture is conservative in nature, dignity the dignity culture is found in liberal democracies. It's the culture of enlightenment, but its roots are in the m are most likely older than that. For more on this, see anthropologist Peter Frost's post on the subject. Face culture. This type of culture is predominant in East Asia and can be a bit elusive to an outsider, myself included. Face is similar to honor in that it's largely determined by your reputation, which depends on the judgments of other people. Shame is the motivating emotion. So like honor culture, it's sometimes called a shame culture. But while honor culture enables a power struggle, face culture is intended as a way of cooperating within existing hierarchies. If you deprive someone of his honor, then shame on him. But if you make someone lose his face, then shame on you. Face is a way of keeping the peace by helping each other to maintain a sense of self-worth. As such, I think you can call it a feminine culture. It's less competitive than honor and dignity cultures and more concerned with group cohesion. And while honor is determined heavily by your place in the hierarchy, face is also, face is also about how well you perform at your station. For, uh, so it's similar to dignity culture in that you can maintain a high sense of self-worth even if your role in society is minor. As you might expect, Reciprocity works like in dignity culture. Returning favors is a virtue, but getting personal revenge is not okay. So, and the rest of the paper just goes on and talks about um, different experiments that they did within different cultures, such as um, like how willing people are in returning um, returning favors in different cultures, how. Uh, honest and trustworthy people are in different cultures. Mm -hmm. How um, I think that's about it um, for this for this piece. But I just I, I read to you the most salient parts of this uh, the blog post. Right. Well, that's a lot to think about. Uh, and certainly, when you were explaining these concepts to me before, at first I didn't think they made a lot of sense. But now hearing this and hearing you explain it more. Um, that's that's a lot to reflect on. I mean, obviously, we tend to associate, like you said, dignity culture or guilt culture with Western liberal democracies and honor and face culture with more of the Eastern uh, parts of the world. So honor culture, particularly in the Middle East and face culture in East Asia. Even, even just to the South, like uh, honor culture is not just only in the Middle East, but it's also in like South, South America, right. Central America, Russia. Yeah. Well, what I, what I um, uh, immediately thought of was, have you guys seen The Godfather? Ah, uh, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So when I think of this idea of honor culture, I think of The Godfather Part Two in particular, 
where Don Corleone sort of rises to prominence essentially by doing what you were talking about, which was he would take out bad people who were causing a lot of problems and then people would feel indebted to him and he would sort of perform favors for people and over time he would expect something back from you and if you didn't pay him back he would come after you uh, sort of along those lines so that's when I think of honor culture uh, am I am I getting the right idea there yeah it's the right idea okay in terms of that so what do you, quickly what do you guys think forms I mean obviously culture is a product of traditions uh, often religious belief systems, um, ideas on conceptualizing oneself in relation to others and, and within a group and even larger uh, within, I'd say, communities that have obviously a big vital role for economies and politics and all these, all these other necessary bodies to human thriving. But what, I mean, these face, honor, dignity refer to these culturally as very generally, and how useful do you think it is to analyze each one of these, uh, at any one of those parts of culture? How explanative do you think we can get? What do you mean, like how predictive is yeah, this exactly, model? Yeah, exactly, I mean, it kind of explains why, like if, like, a yo mama joke to a white guy will not cause him to, like, come after you and try to kill you, but a yo mama joke to, like, a Russian guy, like Khabib, or, yeah. like, or like some Arab guy, or yeah. like some Mexican guy, uh -huh. um, it might it might cause a more adverse reaction. So could you almost say that putting it in that framework, it's almost as if there are less uh, sacred things in in a dignity culture. Like there's more, there's less of an attention on maintaining respect for you know what cultures have traditionally viewed as sacred. Or I would disagree. I would say that dignity culture. Um, actually holds more value to uh, human beings and um, the individual mm -hmm. and it, it celebrates individuality and originality and, and like self-autonomy whereas honor culture it doesn't do that as much and neither does face culture mm -hmm. because honor culture is not really about the individual and face culture is actually it's not about the individual it's about the group right whereas honor culture is more like about the family about the tribe mm -hmm. uh, about like personal honor well and what, on that note, what you were saying about face culture, another thing I think of is you mentioned how shame was used essentially as the tactic to maintain social order. I keep thinking of how in China they now have this social credit system oh, yeah. where essentially, oh, yeah. essentially if you jaywalk, they'll get you on camera and then they will project you up on a screen or something like that. So I actually I, I went to a, um, a uh, lecture on this and this spring, um, a global studies uh, and Chinese economics professor came and lectured at the law school, and he talked about how this social credit system, while to us in the West seems oppressive, many of the um, um, Chinese actually want it because uh, it would monitor uh, good acts from bad acts, and if you were a good citizen, quotation marks, you would get in front of the line for uh, what would be like transportation in train stations or planes. Uh, but if you're a bad person, like you're saying, uh, you could there were there were watch groups like you know we have neighborhood watch here. There are people who are now getting jobs to watch other citizens and look at those video monitors and say, hey, we got a jaywalker here or this person's. Um, soliciting to private homes and like they rank it and it goes from your finances to like what social engagements you can go to 
and it's just fascinating to think that and we all we are all looking to establish some hierarchy because uh, it seems definitely human but I would derive a different lesson from that yeah. um, example that you gave uh, I would say that um, the Chinese like the face cultures they don't value the autonomy and like the privacy of the individual and the rights of the individual as much as they do of the group mm-hmm. right so whereas in China like the group rules all mm-hmm. and, and like the group is the um, it's the basis of society whereas in, in the West it's the individual right right okay mm-hmm. you can think that maybe like that's why um, in China that's why they were so successful with like the one-child policy right mm-hmm. and um, it, with regards to like training um, AI to look through x-rays and uh, try to find out diseases China was doing China is doing that a lot better than than the US right. why is that is because uh, in China they don't really have that many HIPAA laws they don't really have that many patient protection laws right. so medical data can be shared uh, it can be sold very very easily there's no right to privacy yeah I would um, I would definitely agree with that and I mean I would add to it that but also their standards of morality is different right this this idea of using shame as a weapon has sort of been on and off a uh, facet of Western culture so if you think of if you guys have ever read the Scarlet Letter mm-hmm. never have yeah yep. so it's the idea day. right the idea is shame that if you do something bad then you get a scarlet letter put on you and essentially that brands you mm-hmm. as you as a person are defined by that bad action you did mm-hmm. and I think it's dangerous not only to the psyche of people but because well I don't believe people are defined by uh, the bad things they've done in their life uh, you know it leaves out a le- it leaves little room for redemption essentially but you know that might be the dignity culture that I was raised in just speaking through me but I would say that in terms of the social credit system. There's something Orwellian about this idea of imposing uh, especially a government mandated system of maintaining private morality. And it seems like, um, at least in the U.S., that uh, the word totalitarian is the worst thing that the government can be. Right. Mm -hmm. But whereas in like in China, it might be something different. It's like undisciplined might be or like frivolous might be like the worst thing that a government can be. Right. And on that note, I would say, too, is in a lot of ways in the West, we are a little bit too individualistic mm-hmm. uh, nowadays, especially people really have a lot of focus on just people being themselves, essentially, and people being in complete control of their lives and sort of this demolition of the notion of responsibility to a group and stuff along those lines that sort of is pushing us I think too far in that direction and yeah I'd agree I mean the problem with most advanced democracies is you see this decline in um, uh, engagement with their government and I I'd say part of that is because uh, what we attribute to ourselves we often uh, are overestimating our own ability versus those uh, to us so like oh yeah I'm doing great but uh, my neighbor over there uh, Joe uh, he's a mechanic, nah, probably not doing too well. He doesn't deserve that car. And, oh, he definitely deserves that uh, late bill fee. He just doesn't know how to do it, doesn't know how to work. And uh, definitely by what standard we're judging our neighbors and uh, how much credence we give personal responsibility is, I think, a hot topic that many people don't talk about. It's more implied. 
Exactly. It creates narcissists, essentially. Mm -hmm. And people our age, especially, there's a huge trend of narcissism among people our age. Is you know, another, another thing that dignity culture tends to have is um, each human being is worth exactly the same. Whereas in face culture, like the higher you, up, higher you are up in the hierarchy, that's like your worth as a human being. Right. Like that's literally your worth mm. okay, as a human being. Same thing with kind of honor culture, right? That you can be, that like people might, like for, okay, in dignity culture, dignity culture was probably the first uh, culture to uh, ban slavery, okay? I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know which, which country was the first country to ban slavery. But it would be a one in which um, dignity culture was prevalent. Why? Because they would value each human being the same. Right. Whereas in face and honor culture, it's each human being is not valued the same. And I'll give you another thought experiment. This is kind of going off on a different tangent. Right? It's a bit disjointed, sorry. But I think it's important to uh, distinguish between honor, um, honor, face, and dignity again. Um, so you're you're in a car and you're driving, and then you come to a stop sign. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so the guy who is from the face culture he's going to stop because of reverence to the law. Whereas the guy who does honor culture, he doesn't really care about the law. He care, um, what, what, value, what he values more is like the words of his father or like uh, the values of the community, not the law, okay, not the government. So he's just going to pass that stop sign with if no one is there. Mm -hmm. Whereas the guy in the dignity culture, he's not going to stop because it's the law, but he's going to stop because it's the morally, it's the right thing to do. He's mm -hmm. not really thinking about getting a ticket or not. So could you, just so I'm clear, could you uh, elaborate a little bit more on the differences between face and honor culture? Because it seems, it seems they have a lot of similarities in using shame as a tactic mm -hmm. and essentially um, putting worth in where someone is in a hierarchy. Okay, yeah. So honor culture is um, it's more aggressive. It's more, it's more masculine in the sense that like, if someone insults you, you have to get them back, whereas in face, you don't do that. Okay, you know your place. Um, in um, face culture tends to be in places where there's a very strong government there's a very um, like people have people can live in fear whereas in honor they're very it's very rugged um, it tends to happen in places where there is not a very good uh, government to control the people um, uh, honor does honor does okay. yeah because uh, I spent like 10 years in Saudi Arabia um, I grew up over there so I know a little bit about how they think and it's very um, like they don't, you're not supposed to rely on the government for anything. It's just you and your family, and that's how the the American South also tends to be a lot more honor culture, rather than uh, in the nor in the North. It's a lot more dignity culture, mm -hmm. especially like through uh, the 1900s. Uh, I'll give you an example. So there was a guy who was constantly insulted, and then for defending himself, he, he was constantly insulted, right? And he defended himself, and he killed the guy who was insulting him, mm -hmm. okay? In the South, it wasn't, uh, his, his punishment wasn't as bad as, like, something similar that would happen in the North. That makes sense? And that was because they took it a lot more seriously, that yeah. his honor, so to speak, mm -hmm. had been insulted. Yeah. I see. Another example is uh, Habib versus Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. Perfect example. Mm -hmm. So Conor McGregor, um, after the fight, he uh, he stopped like. So in dignity culture, there's this thing called sportsmanship, which is that like you leave everything in the ring. That's the good thing to do. Right. Whereas in honor culture, that's the like rules. They don't really matter. Rules are very superficial. 
-hmm. they're not deeply ingrained into a person so after the after the fight was over you saw what Habib did he jumped over the fence and started attacking and in the West we would call that bad sportsmanship but then um, you can go around and say oh that's just cultural incent cultural insensitivity in that um, mm -hmm. you should if you if you insult a person's religion and you insult a person's family you should expect that mm -hmm. okay and and preventing him from doing so is not right mm -hmm. I see whereas in face culture they respect the laws a lot more right so then would I be correct in stating that there's a lot more mixture of these sort of poles in predominant you know Western societies because I mean it seems to me that no one culture can be considered a monolith that would exactly fit all of these yeah, characteristics. Yeah. It's more of uh, societal archetypes sure, rather than um, empirical um, categorizations. Right. So let me butt in here because the whole time we were talking about this, I actually I had written an essay uh, detailing Jonathan Haidt. He's a um, sociology professor uh, that's done a lot of research. That, uh, his works are pretty popular. Uh, in contemporary scientific literature because what he talks about or what he his research is is getting to uh, the bottom of human society's archetypes that you just referred to finding the golden rules that arise naturally during our evolution so if I were to try I'm trying to update our language make it more exact to what we're talking about just so the our listeners can um, get uh, more imaginative and know exactly what we're talking about. So I'm only going to read the second essay, if that's all right with you guys, Go or on. the second paragraph. Um, I say, I rely on hate's analysis of moral diversity. I believe that nature is comprised of the care, fairness, and loyalty foundations. I believe that these are all net positive aspects of our own nature in response to our evolution that allows us to coexist and always achieve the greatest good. You can see I have a little bit of utilitarianism in there. When I think of care, I define it as this. We have, all the, we have all the capacity to detect suffering and need. It makes us despise cruelty and want to care for those who are suffering. This innate ability is what ultimately guides us to mutual understanding and shared common ground. Fairness is collaboration and reciprocal altruism. It makes us want to shun or punish cheaters. This is how we determine the just and unjust actions of one, and we can naturally condemn such cheaters because there must be a balancing force that holds certain things bad and other things good. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. This acts as the glue to our social structure and gives a basis for why we condemn certain actions. So that I, so it's basically asking where does justice come from? Yeah. Yeah. So like in a face culture, justice would come from the overarching legal system. Um, and then in honor culture, you got to get it yourself. When you say overarching legal system, I mean like call it the government, essentially. Yeah, even... Maybe a better word for face culture would be society or, or like, or the community. Sure. Okay. Because uh, even like the word government is a very dignity-esque type of uh -huh. word. I guess very so. Very dignity culture type yeah. of word. Yeah. Here, I think, I think face is community. I think honor is group because community is comprised of many groups. And I think dignity is the individual. I think that'd be, wouldn't, do you think that's... Government? Yeah, so like face I don't think it's as black and white as that, but like I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, okay. there, there's yeah, there's a truth to that most certainly in terms of how we're defining them. Mm -hmm. um, the comment I would have about this is um, 
we're talking a lot about uh, Jonathan Haidt and contemporary debates and sort of cultural clashes mm -hmm. that come about. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a writer I've been studying recently by the name of Alistair McIntyre, mm -hmm. who talks about this sort of with a moral lens and a meta-ethical lens, mm -hmm. essentially looking at it from the perspective of the foundations of ethics. Mm -hmm. And he says a lot of the problems with the modern day is sort of a clash of completely different attitudes that are irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. And that essentially manifests itself in debates that people are having. So take, for instance, the debate over abortion. He breaks it down as person A will argue this, person B will argue that. They'll go back and forth, back and forth, breaking each other's arguments down. And usually the point that it ends with is both of them just saying, well, look, you have your values and I have my values. We just have completely different attitudes towards it. Mm -hmm. So my question to you boys would be, do you think that that is a manifestation of, of dignity, culture, dignity culture? Well, dignity culture essentially encouraging that individualism to the extent of everybody having their own values. Or what do you think that represents? I mean, you until not too long ago, apostasy was seen as something um, that, like, it would get you executed in societies, okay? It would, like, if you're a Christian, if you're Muslim, um, whatever community you were a part of, if you were to change your faith, you were seen as uh, a traitor to the community and you were put to death. That was the crime. Right. Right? Just changing mm -hmm. your changing your values was the crime. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in dignity culture, each, each person has, like, whatever values you hold as an individual, uh, those values are true for you. Right. You can have them. Right? Everybody has their own truth. Or yeah, everyone has their own like freedom of doing whatever they want. Okay. Right. Maybe there, I might believe that there's one truth. Okay, but every I gotta respect everyone, and uh, it's like that. But sure. Whereas in honor culture and faith culture, they're more they're more collectivistic. Right. Okay. So if you leave the faith, you're a traitor to society, and you're gonna be put to death. Right. Okay. And then you might be hearing this and say, uh, thinking to yourself, well, apostasy like apostasy laws that must be like the worst thing ever. Yeah. Okay, because but you're just, but the thing is that you're biased because you're you're thinking about this from the perspective of a dignity culture. Right. So yeah, I I, I get that. I'm I want to address Fahed's um, point after answering Tom's question about how these are irreconcilable in in dignity culture. That debate between pro-choice and pro-life is that uh, ultimately they're going to come away with that. Uh, that subjectivity, uh, I'd say non-answer. You, you really haven't gone to one through to each other. Right. And you're going to just have this intractable issue. I think the problem is we have to, depending on the issue, uh, abortion. Uh, people talk about government and funding, and that's uh, why the Hyde Amendment makes the news. That's why all Planned Parenthood makes the news. I think when we talk about issues and topics, generally we have to, that it has to be proportionate uh, in magnitude to what how it affects us we, we have to think through this on the individual level and then also on a societal level and people just have to move within those different paradigms to get a fuller understanding and maybe that will get them closer to a consensus but it won't necessarily make them have to discard uh, whichever culture they're a part of and I think to Fahed's point that that is really the compromise we have to get. Um, we are, at some point, we all have our, in Jonathan Rawls' um, opinion, our comprehensive doctrine, our set of beliefs that are fixed 
and we refer to whenever we're faced with a moral or a political question. And that as long as we're dynamic enough, adaptable enough to use those different paradigms and frames of references, depending on the issue, uh, there's a way forward. But if we are unwilling to um, see that um, our potential to change our minds, uh, so we, yes, we see apostates shouldn't be killed for a change in values, uh, I think that will be good. But for now, uh, I think, if anything, the political polarization has shown how these different face honor and dignity, the difference in these cultures and archetypes, how they shape conversation. Well, I would say I, I would disagree with the point that essentially there is to be any resolution, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, because it does go to that point where people just have uh, different values. And I know you were referring to people alluding to sort of what's best for the most amount of people, sort of the utilitarian mm -hmm. aspect or mm -hmm. the moral landscape aspect. Mm -hmm. But on a meta-ethical level, essentially, if somebody's values aren't aligned with that idea purely of going towards whatever maximizes the happiness or what mm -hmm. have you mm -hmm. of the group, then essentially the problem is not resolved. And so I do agree with your point that when it comes to polarization, I think that does manifest something deeper, which might be inherent in dignity culture, which is that it encourages so much subjectivity that mm -hmm. it leaves aside any possibility of resolution to problems because there's no common standard by which to mm -hmm. elude. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I take uh, science. Science, it's easy for there to be a consensus because there's rational ways that we've come up with in order to uh, study an objective mm -hmm. uh, facet of society. But with morality, you can't demonstrate empirically whether or not one thing is right or another. And so that's not to say reason can't be used. Reason most certainly must be used. It's a rational endeavor. But at the same time, it's a lot more difficult when people don't have a common conception, which I would say is a, a uh, more or less a, a uh, advantage that honor and face culture have. Yeah, what's, what's the advantage? The advantage is that among the members of the community, there is a shared commonality in meta-ethical standards. How they come to an understanding. Well, right. right. There, yeah. there is a, a standard by which they all can allude to, uh, a sort of code that exists that they all hold to be objective and rational. So in Islamic society, uh, uh, Fahad, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I would assume that would be you know, the Islamic law. Sharia, yeah. you know, and that sort of is the mandate and the ultimate has the ultimate say. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a matter of tempering the rule of law against one's rights, freedoms, and liberties. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yo, um, it's actually really interesting that um, that that you say that because um, even within this, like the Islamic communities uh, between uh, the U.S. and in the, in the actual Muslim world um, and what they talk about during the Friday sermon they try to address like the biggest issues in society and the different issues that exist um, or the issues that they talk about during the sermon they differ okay? and I think they differ because of the dignity because of dignity culture and honor culture right what are the problems that you're talking about so some like in um, dignity culture uh, if the Imam or if like the leader 
uh, who's giving the sermon, if he wants to like make people angry, he's going to talk about hijab. Okay, he's going to talk about like the face value. He's going to make all the women angry. Okay, it's like who are you to tell me what to do? I am the I am the individual. It's only uh, religion's only between me and God, and you are not allowed to tell me what to do. Okay, that's what um, that's what women who are kind of kind of ingrained into like the dignity culture here would say. Or if he's or if the imam is trying to. Um, if the imam is trying to, oh my god, my phone's ringing. Uh, if he's like in an honor culture, what's he going to be talking about? He's going to be talking about maybe not taking revenge on people and trying to forgive, trying to talk about forgiveness because in honor culture, um, um, people tend to get a lot of revenge. Okay. Um, whereas in face culture, I don't really know too much about it. Maybe he's going to be talking about respecting your parents more, um, trying to address that issue. Also, I wanted to talk about like um, the Heinz dilemma if you're familiar with that, and talk about what uh, a person from face culture, honor culture, and dignity culture would do in this situation. So lay that on us. What is the Heinz dilemma? A woman was on her deathbed. There was one drug that the doctors thought might save her. It was a form of radium that a druggist in the same town had recently discovered. The drug was expensive to make, but the druggist was, change, was charging 10 times what the drug cost him to produce. He said, or he paid $200 for the radium and charged $2,000 for a small dose of the drug. The sick woman's husband, Heinz, went to everyone he knew to borrow the money, but he could only get uh, together about $1,000, which is half of what it cost. Um, he told the druggist that his wife was dying and asked him to sell it cheaper or let him pay later, but the druggist said no. I discovered the drug and I'm going to make money from it. So Heinz got desperate and broke into the man's laboratory to steal the drug for his wife. Should Heinz have broken into the laboratory to steal the drug for his wife? Mm. And should he be punished for it? So these are the two questions. So I've heard, I've heard this dilemma in different form before. And certainly it's, it's got a lot of relation to me uh, since I want to be a prosecutor. And I was asked by somebody a similar question about somebody who was going to be put on the death penalty for a crime they didn't commit. And would it be appropriate for that person to break out of prison and kill one of the prison guards while trying to break out? And so it prevents for you essentially a very uh, difficult dilemma. Um, Let's stick to this one first. Sure, sure, sure. I'm just, you know, I'm drawing a similar situation. but. In terms of this question, it, it, it's really not easy to answer. Should he? Okay, so but what would the dignity you know? culture person do? The dignity culture person would definitely. I mean, this is what I would definitely do. I wouldn't punish him. I would say, look, you know, like, yeah, there is the law. There is the aspects of the law, but there are exceptions to the rule, and there is a greater good here, which is the health of your wife, and because your wife has value and dignity, and essentially there's an unfair imposition that is preventing her from her right to life. You therefore have the right per se in this very instance to have done that. But that's not to say that in any other instance, uh, this is also going to be the case. You sort of judge it on a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. So what would the honor culture person do? Honor culture would definitely take it because he doesn't really care about laws. Yeah. Yeah, it's because his family is more important. More, to him. Yeah, his family is right. the most important thing ever. So then, face culture is the only one possibility that they would, we would punish them, and yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. 
I like then, that a lot. And then the face culture guys, what would they do? They would not steal it. No, they wouldn't. Yeah. And if you did steal it, you'd be punished properly. You'd be punished properly mm-hmm. for it. Right. Because the law reigns above everyone and the, the law is, is supreme. Yeah. That really is an interesting sort of way of looking at this kind of thing. So yeah, for our viewers, maybe ask a friend that, uh, lay out that dilemma. Uh, it's been the one Fahed outlined and also Tom, and kind of draw the your two um, conclusions and see if there's any differences. Also, read Jonathan Haidt and Alistair McIntyre. Mm-hmm. You want to wrap it up? Okay, we can wrap it up. All right, gang. Um, this has been a fruitful discussion on face culture, honor culture, and dignity culture. I need to watch more samurai movies, man. Yeah, that's true. Because in order to be able to understand face a little bit better than I currently do, because I think there's a lot more to learn uh, from face culture. It's like the, the hive mentality, like the uh-huh. swarm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the collective. The collective, As yeah. I was saying earlier. <laughs> Whereas like dignity, it produces a lot more creativity. Face culture produces a lot more like like so very st- a very stable and structured society mm-hmm. whereas right. maybe like honor culture produces um, a mix of the two almost. not really I mean, it produces like well when I think of like honor culture I think of a very like very masculine man a very rugged man uh-huh. a man you should be scared of who uh-huh. has like tattoos all over him yeah like a, maybe a beard <laughs> yeah it's yeah. an interesting way to look at it yeah and then like face culture, I think of like a like a meek Chinese person <laughs> who like works in a you know, like a research lab. How about how about dignity culture? Dignity think culture. A, I think of a, a of a dude with a man bun and circular glasses who's sitting like uh, yeah, drinking some of, coffee or something. Oh, my yeah. peppermint jewel, dude. Human <laughs> rights, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, Fahad, uh, you wanna send us out? Yeah, bro. Get out of my ear. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's fine. I'll take it. <laughs>